30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago, there was a best-selling book on the market. I would imagine some of you will remember this that was called Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask. Now, you can tell that book's over 30 years old because today there's almost nothing we're afraid to talk about or ask. Uh, in our culture today, the wild and the weird has become the norm. Uh, and the world presents to us, uh, offers to us a, a kind of sex that basically says the best sex is any kind of sex that has no rules, no limitations, and absolutely no commitments. H have you noticed? Have you noticed that it, 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 what the world presents, they, they present about everything but married sex? I mean, you watch TV, you watch the movies, and it looks like everybody's having sex but married people. And if they are, do. Who'd be interested in that? And so, folks, you and I live in a world where there's two very clear presentations. Now, I don't know how much the second one is made, but clearly the world is presenting to you a, a way of sex. The world is presenting to you this is what good sex, the best sex looks like, and God presents a way of His design and what is good and what is best for you. So I guess the question I have today is, what is the best sex? Now when I say what is the best sex, the, the, what the world is offering or what God is offering, I, I'm not asking that question like, what is best for you, broccoli or a candy bar? I mean, we know broccoli's best, but we want the candy bar. Especially after the last 21 days, don't we? All right. But that's not the question I'm asking. I'm not saying, okay, we, you know, we know God's way is best. But boy, over there, that really looked... No, I'm not asking that. I'm saying, which is best? Wh which is most exciting? Which is most passionate? And you might be very surprised to see what the world says when nobody's looking. Because in survey after survey, year after year, it is very clear what the best sex is. And in one particular survey, it was clearly found time and time again that married people, you know, the ones that say the world says that, that those people don't have sex, just the rest of us. No, it is married people who report the highest rate of sexual satisfaction. As a matter of fact, you might be surprised to know this survey actually said that Christian married people report even a higher rate of sexual satisfaction. Now, now who do you think reports something like this? And, I, and I've done this statistic, this, this illustration once before, so some of you may know where I'm going. But when we hear that kind of thing, we might anticipate, oh, that, that probably comes from James Dobson. You know, and focus on the family. Or that, that comes from some Christian denomination. And, you know, we've all heard you can massage the numbers. You can make a survey say anything you want it to say. So that it, you know, it kind of gives you the results that you want. So surely some Christians are, are behind this kind of survey that would say this. Well, actually, no, my, my survey results come out of, uh, well, it's a woman's magazine that I'm pretty sure has never promoted anything, Christian. Have you heard of Red Book? Yeah, Red Book is who reported these statistics. Can you imagine reading some of this in the hair salon? Red Book brings us that. As a matter of fact, I want to show you a couple of things in their study, and it was coupled with voter consumer research in a, in a little tiny university out west called UCLA. That's not University of Christians in Los Angeles. Uh, again, none of these organizations 
are, are in any way, shape, or form trying to promote some kind of Christian idea or what we might hear in church. And, and look at what their results were. Premarital sex was, this is what UCLA and Red Book said. Imagine reading this at the hair salon. Premarital sex was a good determinant for later sexual dissatisfaction among women and sexual dysfunction in men. Now, young people, you might remember me standing over here a couple of weeks ago in one of these, and I said, you know what? If you want 40 or 50 years of the best sex, don't sell out the next four or five. Don't get started early. I'm going to tell you something. That's not just preacher talk. That's not just what you're supposed to hear in church. That's what Red Book said. Red Book said, if you get started early, women, more than likely, you're going to hate it through the bulk of the rest of your life. Men, you're going to end up with dysfunction through the rest of your life. Oh, that's the world. That's the world saying that. Look at this one. Married people were more likely, again, I've already said that, to report higher satisfaction than non-married. You don't, you don't get that when you're watching TV. You don't get that when you're at the office and everybody's around the water cooler or the coffee pot. Look at this one. This is crazy. Parents with three or more children were more likely to report higher than, satisfaction than other adults. I'm thinking, who knew they had time? <laughs> or energy. Of course, and then it dawned on me, well, I guess they didn't get three or more kids watching TV, did they? Uh, next one. Thank you for helping me out there. Let's move on. Weekly, <laughs> weekly church attenders. Folks, this is Red Book. Red Book. Can you imagine reading this? Weekly church attenders were more likely to report higher satisfaction than people who infrequently or never attend worship services. One income household, one income households were more likely to report higher satisfaction. And look at this last one. Couples that live together. Now our young people in our culture today, I mean this is the, the heavy push in their life. And there's a logic that seems to go with it that's very difficult to debate. I mean, we don't buy a car without taking it on a test drive. Why would you not live together? You know, three months, six months, a year. I mean, let's find out how we make decisions, if we get along, if we're sexually compatible. I mean, it just seems to make such logical sense. And then, and you know what, if it doesn't work out, we can back out without the messiness and the hurt of divorce, right? I mean, how do you debate that? And yet, statistically speaking, living together is not a positive determinant of anything. Not a single positive thing can be said. It's what UCLA said. Not a single positive thing comes out of living together. People who live together have a higher rate of sexual anxiety. They have a higher rate of physical abuse. And if they get divorced, I mean, excuse me, if they get married, and statistically they don't. If you live together thinking this is going to lead to marriage, statistically more likely it's not. But if it does, you have a higher rate of divorce. Apparently taking the car for a spin didn't do it. Because you have a higher rate of divorce than the rest of society. You know, folks, you hear what the world is saying? When nobody's looking, when they're not in performance, when they're not leading us in a certain way, they're not happy at all. This sex life that they are completely obsessed with is leaving them absolutely empty. Mosier and Cross, two research psychologists from the University of Connecticut, 
looking at studies like these, said this, monogamous married couples enjoy greater sexual freedom. They are free from guilt and from fears often associated with sex outside of marriage, like AIDS, other sexually transmitted diseases, rejection, out-of-wedlock pregnancy, comparison to other partners, exposure, failure, embarrassment, and losing one's partner to another lover. Little newsflash here, married sex is the best sex. And that's what the world is telling us. Now, folks, if that's what they're revealing, you know what that means? That means all those other times they're lying to us. The desperate housewives and the story writers of that, they're, they're actually lying to us. The pornography, it's not really that erotic. It's not really that fulfilling. It's a lie. They're lying to us. And so many of us, in some grasp at a fantasy, are destroying reality. Married sex is the best sex. And all these others are telling a lie. And here's the big shocker. We're surprised. We're kind of surprised by that. I mean, it, it sure looked like they were having fun. It sure looked like they had a pretty good design on this. No, they're just, they're just lying. Folks, I find that the average Christian is mostly completely unaware of all that Scripture has to say about sex. I mean, we know it says don't. But it actually says quite a few other things. I want to take some time this moment and look uh, and look and see what is God actually saying about all this? Now, you know, as we kind of aim and shoot at God's picture, as we try to move toward God's design, the, the, the problem is we're all over the place. I mean, it'd be nice if we were all starting in the exact same spot. We had a clean slate. We had positive experiences. We, you, you know, we, we were just at, we, we had the same background, but, but nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, there are people in this room right now that are, are fighting sexual addictions. There are people in this room right now that have been through sexual abuse, are presently going through sexual abuse. There are people in this room that have brought a, a truckload of sexual baggage into the marriage. There are people in this room building a truckload of sexual baggage wherever they are, wherever they're heading. I mean, we are all over the map, which makes it a little bit challenging for me. Because, see, you know what I do when I'm lost? When I got the map out, I, I only need to know two things. Where in the world am I? And once I find that out, then I figure out where I'm going. Now, once I can identify those two spots, it's not that hard after that. Now I can chart a course. But now here's the problem. We're, we're getting lost in this, but we're all over the map. There's all kinds of courses. I can't speak to every one of those courses this morning, but what I can do, what I can do is try to make it real clear on the map where we're heading. What I can do is try to make it real clear on the map where we want to go. And then what you're going to need to do is ask God, God, give me wisdom and insight to where my activities, my background, my attitudes are so that I can begin charting a course to where you'd have me to be. Let's look and see what God says. We're going to I've done something like this before in sermons. I'm just going to I'm just going to read a variety of passages. We're not going to stop and stay long on on very many of them. Just actually just kind of walk through this and we're just going to listen to God talk. And folks, as I read, do just that. Listen, listen to what God is saying. What is he commanding? What is he prohibiting? What is he encouraging? What's his attitude? What's his design? Be listening for what God is saying. I'm going to begin with a passage we've looked at recently in, in, in this series on marriage. 
Uh, and it says this in Genesis 2.23. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, and yet they felt no shame. When we looked at this, we said, you know, there's a grammar here that is implying that there's a a sense of excitement, a sense of passion, certainly a great sense of intimacy and oneness. That's what God's design is. Then then we turn to Exodus uh, chapter 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 14, inside of the Ten Commandments, and it says, do not commit adultery. Folks, God hadn't changed his mind about that. Regardless of what's going on in our culture, what it looks like is happening in so many people around us, do not commit adultery is still God's design and plan. As a matter of fact, I said that hadn't changed. Actually, Jesus did come along in the New Testament and he didn't change it. He just ramped it up a little bit. He said, you know, you're not supposed to commit adultery, but you and I always interpret that physically. He said, let's ramp that up and make it emotional, too. I don't want you looking at somebody like that. I don't want you having a conversation with somebody like that. I don't want you getting excited with somebody else, towards somebody else in that way. That's adultery. It's wrong. God judges that. That rule hadn't changed. Another passage, Proverbs chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. Now this is a, a passage that is using a metaphor and it's talking all about water and wells it's not talking about either water or wells, okay? It's saying, enjoy your own sexual relationship with your mate. That understanding, listen to this. Drink water from your own cistern. Water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure... Take pleasure in the wife of your youth. Take pleasure in the mate that you started with. A loving doe, a graceful fawn. Let her breasts always satisfy you. And listen to this line. Be lost in her love. Isn't that a great Valentine thought? God's romantic, folks. Be lost. Be captured. Be enraptured by the love that you have inside of that marriage. That's God's design. That's what he's designed and wants for you. Verse 21, for a man's ways are before, or excuse me, back up verse 20. Why, my son, would you be infatuated with a forbidden woman? Why would you be looking at somebody else that way? Somebody across the street, somebody on the computer, somebody in the office. Why would you be conversing with somebody that way? Why would you be building a relationship like that? Why would you embrace the breast of a stranger? For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? What's the answer? No. No, you pick up fire, you're going to get burned. Can a man walk on hot coals without scorching his feet? No. Can you step outside of God's design for sex and it, and it be okay and it, and it work out? Verse 29, So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. 
No one who touches her will go unpunished. Now, that's pretty clear when we're inside of marriage. But but young people, I want to challenge you because today or over the next few years, you're going to date people. And you're probably going to feel like you're experiencing love like nobody else on the planet has ever experienced it before. And you're going to know this one is the one that you're going to go through the rest of the life with. More than likely, that's not who they're going to marry, is it? We all know that because we've all been there. And that's coming from one who actually did marry his high school sweetheart. But more than likely, you're not going to marry that person. And more than likely, they're going to marry somebody else. So if you start getting sexually involved with them, then you are right in the face of this passage right here. You are sexually involved with what is going to be somebody else's mate. And what does God say about that? He says, no one who touches her will go unpunished. Verse 32, the one who commits adultery lacks sense. That's the biblical way of saying the one who gets involved like this. Now, remember, Jesus said either physically or emotionally, the one who gets involved like this is just plain stupid because you're destroying yourself. And that's what all those statistics say, aren't it? Aren't they? Every one of those statistics is people clearly stepping outside of God's design, outside of God's lines. It doesn't work. Folks, as you've heard me say so often, God gives his laws, his rules, his commands, not because he's angry and he's got a bunch of hoops he wants us to jump through. It's because he knows what happens when we go. He knows how he designed us. He knows how he designed relationships. He knows how he designed the world. And he knows what happens when we step outside of that. As a loving father, he says, if you pick that up, you're going to get burned. If you pick that up, you're going to ruin it. And it's such a precious and good thing I've given you. So, so here's the instructions. Another passage, Song of Psalm. Solomon, chapter 7. Folks, this is rated R. I'm just warning you right now. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, princess. The curves of your thighs are like jewelry. It's just the lights are real hot. It's the lights. The curves of your thighs are like jewelry, the handiwork of a master. Your navel is a rounded bowl. It never lacks mixed wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat surrounded by lilies. And folks, I'm going to keep reading this. And each one of these descriptions of beauty obviously is a metaphor to something in that culture that would point to beauty, to, to prosperity, to something good, something that's a blessing. Now, remember, that's his culture. We don't live in that culture. So, so men, I'm just going to suggest, don't ever refer to your wife's waist as a mound of anything. I, I just, I'm just not going to suggest, I believe in quoting God's word, memorizing God's word, living it. I just wouldn't use that phrase right there. You think longer and harder about something else. Verse three, verse three, your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes like pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, the hair of your head like purple cloth. A king could be held captive in your tresses. How beautiful you are, how pleasant my love with such delights. 
Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are like clusters of fruit. And here's my new life verse. And I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. You know, I'd like to take a survey right now and find out how many people said, God said that? May your breast be like... You know what? Let's just stop right there. Some of you today have heard the word breast in a worship service more than you have in all the worship services in the rest of your life. I'm, I'm almost done with that. I'm, I'm sweating. Um, may your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the fragrance of your breath like apricots. Your mouth is like fine wine, flowing smoothly for my love, gliding past my lips and teeth. Now, if you think that's hot, listen to her response. I belong to you, my love, and your desire is for me. Come, my love, let's go to the field. Let's spend the night among the henna blossoms. Let's go early to the vineyards. Let's see if the vine has budded and the blossom is open. And folks, she ain't talking about a vine or a bud. There, there, I will give you my love. And listen to this. I have treasured them up for you, my love. Folks, let me tell you something. God is a promoter of passionate, exciting sex in marriage. Inside of that, He wants for you a very wonderful, beautiful, powerful thing. Use the instructions. Another passage, 1 Corinthians, in the, the New Testament now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. It says, A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Equally, a husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And then one last passage, not the last passage in the Bible. We haven't read all the passages in the Bible that deal with this and refer to this. Last one I'm dealing with today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage must be respected by all. Marriage must be respected by married people. It must be respected by single people, divorced people, widowed people, young people, old people. Do you realize the command we have there? Folks, the world will challenge us for wanting us to have legislation that respects marriage. And a lot of you, you know, government and church shouldn't get involved. They shouldn't get together. Folks, I've got a command right here that says I'm to do everything I can that marriage is respected between one man and one woman. And we're going to promote legislation and be a part of legislation that does that. Not same-sex marriage, not the easiest possible divorce we can get to, but a society that respects. That's a command. I don't have a choice to ignore that. It must be respected by all. By all. I'm not even done with the verse. That's just one phrase. Remember that phrase next time we're challenged about that. Marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. We protect 
We protect the marriage bed. We don't bring another person into it. We don't bring ideas and lies from the world into it. This is a holy place, a sacred place, a special place. We keep it pure. Why? Because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. God has a lot to say, doesn't he? God has a lot to say about this issue. Now, folks, I know it's extremely late. If I can, real quickly, the number's going to scare you, but I'm going to move quickly. I want to point out real quickly seven observations that come from these verses that we just looked at. Number one, the sexual relationship in marriage is God's good and perfect plan. Folks, Hugh Hefner, Hollywood, the world, Satan, nobody out there gave us sex. I think we actually forget that. I think that's why it's so weird for us to come into church and to talk about it because, you know, God and sex, that's just weird. You know why it's weird to us? Because we actually believe that sex is something the world invented and gave us. No, it's something God invented and gave us. And it's a good thing inside of His design and plan. Folks, any sexual hang-ups, frustrations, guilt, anxiety that we're carrying today is not because of anything that was a part of God's plan. Could I humbly and gently say that? Anything we're dealing with out there that is hurting and is painful is not because of what God designed and did. It's because of how we picked up the world and what the world did to it. Second observation. The sexual relationship is a part of becoming one and enjoying intimacy. Made this point a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at marriage. Folks, when when God brought a man and a woman together, He said there to be one. You ever wonder, wonder why God did create sex anyway? I mean, if it's his idea, why, why was he thinking like that? What he, here's what he was thinking. When he declares, when he brings a man and a woman together to be one, he wanted to create a way that that literally happened. That it was very physical, it was very real, that in, there would be these moments that they were actually one. And that idea of oneness is an absolute utter uniqueness. This is something I share only with her. I mean, folks, most of what we do in life, we can do with a multitude of people. But there's this one thing, just this one thing that we share with only one person in all of our life. On this planet. When you understand God's design. Do you see the absolute impossibility then. Of picking this up. And having a multitude of partners along the way. It just dirties it. Cheapens it. And destroys it. We're using it in a way that is nothing like. What God designed. It's a place I share. With only one other person. This is the place. Where we only know this. About each other. Nobody else. Nobody else knows this. Third observation. The sexual relationship in marriage should be something we seek to enjoy. You know, folks, I want to add a weird word to enjoy. We work at it. We work at enjoying it. We work at keeping it healthy. I would add to that, we pray about it. Now, again, for a lot of us, because of where our concept of sex was developed, the idea of praying about it just seems weird. But when I stop and remember, hey, you know what? God apparently feels pretty comfortable talking about this. He invented it. Maybe I should talk to him about it. God, would you bless what I have with my mate? Would, would you give that sense of enjoyment and pleasure and help us to achieve what, what you design? And to say that I'm going to work at enjoying my mate means the exact opposite also. 
It means I'm going to work at not enjoying somebody else. I'm going to work at not enjoying somebody else with my eyes. I'm going to work at not enjoying somebody else with my conversation. I'm going to work at not enjoying somebody else in the way that I relate. You know, folks, there's individuals in here right now, you, you know it. When you go to work, when you go to that, that place, there's a person there, not your mate. And as you approach them, there's a, there's a little pick-me-up. There's a, there's a little sense of excitement. There, there's some of that chemistry that starts firing. Can I assure you, with all of my heart, you are in the exact spot that God does not want you to be. You could not be further away from God in that moment right there. He says, stop working at enjoying that. Do everything you can to not enjoy that. Whatever it means. And get back over here and work at enjoying your mate. Next observation. The sexual relationship should be accompanied by an emotional relationship. Folks, it's not just a physical oneness. We're building emotional oneness also. Did you notice in the Song of Solomon? I mean, when we get to the end there, man, clothes are flying. There's great excitement. But did you see all the, I hate to say this, guys. Did you see all the talking that went on before that? I mean, talk, 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 talk. And it was the guy who was doing it. You know, interesting thing about talking. I'm going to say something that you're going to go, you know, that's right. And I never knew that because that's what I did. <laughs> There's a lot of creatures on this planet that have sex. God created most of the animal kingdom to reproduce by the sexual relationship. Did you know of all of the animal kind on this planet that is having sex? Only human beings are designed in a way that that can take place face to face. No other part of the animal kingdom is that an issue or is that important? Only among human beings is it face to face. You see, as much as God created for us to enjoy below the neck. He also created this to be an enjoyment too, with the eyes, with the conversation, with the ears. There's an emotional oneness that goes with the physical oneness. Look at the next observation here. The sexual relationship, folks, is an act of service. You see, in the world, sex is something you get. Something, sex is something you're after. Sex is something you conquer. Sex is something you achieve. If you use it, you use it to manipulate the other. You use it to get something for yourself. The world's concept of sex is absolutely, wholly, completely, totally self-centered. God's is just the opposite. I use the sexual relationship to bless and to serve my mate. I think there's three very simple principles that can keep sex as a my mate-centered mindset. Look at these three principles. Number one, I'll do whatever I can to please you. I'll do whatever I can. See, my focus is not me. My focus is her. What can I do to please and serve and bless you in this moment? Now, number one has to be balanced with number two. Because, see, it's because it's not about me. It's about her. I'm not going to ask anything that is disgrading or distasteful. Now, those are principles that are going to change from couple to couple. I mean, that's your journey and what you build together. But both of you have a mindset. I'm going to do whatever I can to please you. And both of you have the mindset. I'm not going to do anything that is uncomfortable for you. 
Third, uh, a third thing, I will not use sex to manipulate or punish. Very simple principle, folks. I can't pick up a tool and use it to bless my mate and then the next day pick up the same tool to punish or try to manipulate my mate. You, you can't use it both ways. Don't use it that way. Next observation, the sexual relationship should be a regular and normal part of the marriage relationship. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 7. You know, sometimes it'd be nice, I think, if, you, if it put a number in there, don't you? You know, God, how many times a week or a month could you? I mean, just a target, just a bull, you know, a, a guess. But you know what? That'd be ridiculous. The, the, the number is not the issue. The, the, that changes from couple to couple. And think about it, even inside the same couple, the number changes. You have ups and downs, ebbs and flows to life. It's, it's different from season to season and, and different things going on. And I mean, there's times with, with stress and, and tiredness and all that we got going on. It can begin to languish when we actually have to, to work at it. Can you believe that? I mean, I'm sure when we were all 17, we thought we'd never have to work at this. You know, and yet we actually can arrive at a place where time's passing and we're tired. But you know what? We have to work at this. This passage is not about a number. It's about a commitment to each other. We're not going to let this languish. We're going to use what God has given us to maintain and nurture this oneness. Last observation, the marriage bed should be honored. And I've already spoken to that, I think, clear enough. We honor that place. Two people in that bed who are not married is not honoring to God. Do you notice that God calls it the marriage bed? The marriage bed. Not the we really, really, really love each other bed. Not the we really love each other and we're getting married in two months bed. Not that we've already been married and so what's the point of saving ourselves bed? It's only called the marriage bed. Because all that God has designed there flourishes and commitment, full, total, obligated, legally binding commitment. Folks, I want to leave you with with a book I suggest, because uh, no way, shape or form, we're even coming close to covering all the issues here. And, and it's the book Intended for Pleasure by Ed Wheat. And the reason I recommend this book is because I think sex is something that we think we know a lot about, we know everything about, and we think that because either one, we've done it, or two, we've seen it done on the big screen. So we, we know all there is to know about it. Folks, if that's what you know, you know a lot about animals. That's all you know is what animals do. But God designed what happens between a man and a woman to be very, very different than what he designed in animals doing that. There's a lot to learn biblically and spiritually about that. What I love about Intended for Pleasure, Ed Wheat not only brings an excellent study of, of, of the biblical and spiritual insight into the sexual relationship, but he's actually a, a medical doctor. He's an OB-GYN. So he's bringing the physiological understanding uh, to his work also. It's a tremendous resource. Now, statistics say only women buy and read books. Uh, men, you want to read this with her. Just will you trust me on this one? This is a place to go. OK, good book intended for pleasure by Ed Wheat. Now, folks, we're, we're done today. What, what do we do with this? You know, I mean, if you came in here with hurts, with disappointment, with guilt, I probably didn't fix or correct any of that today. You're probably leaving with some of the same stuff. As a matter of fact, you may even be leaving here feeling more guilty, more frustrated, feeling like you're even further 
from the picture. What do we do with this message? Well, folks, here's the thing. You don't do anything different with this message than you do any single Sunday, any message on any issue. Number one, wherever I see a place where I'm outside of God's design, I confess it as sin. Not a mistake, not as ignorant. I confess it as I've sinned. I've rebelled against God's way. I never sought to learn God's way. I have sinned. I've done wrong. And I want to quit going my own way. The second thing we do is we commit to God's way. Which means we dive into God's Word. We start studying and reading and understanding what He said. Maybe we use a, a, a book like Intended for Pleasure to, to help us to do that. But we commit ourselves to God's way. Which for most of us means it, it's not just the, the activity. It, it's the attitudes. It's the thoughts. It's, it's dealing with our background and all of that coupled with the activity. How do I get into God's way? And lastly, folks, we just take a step. Toward God's way. You know, I said this last week. Sometimes when we look at God's design, we can end up feeling so frustrated and we end up feeling so guilty because we realize I've done so many things that have gotten me so far from the target. And we thought, what, what, what's even the point? What's even the point? Well, you know what? There's a huge point when you can be forgiven. It's not guilt that is to send us to God's way, it's God's love and forgiveness. And you know what? He doesn't say you have to have it all cleaned up by Friday. He says, come on, let's take a step. Will you trust God for a step? Folks, I don't know about you. I'm, I praise God that I have a God and there's no God like Jehovah. That I have a God that actually understands and has answers for every issue under the sun. There's absolutely nothing going on in life, even this stuff that I might have thought was weird to talk to him about. There's nothing going on in life that I can't talk with God about, and he doesn't have the way for me. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. This is an area in our lives, in our homes, in our culture. God, we need a revolution. We are absolutely, utterly a sexually immoral society. And it is very difficult to walk in, through this society, to live in this society and not be tainted by that. God, I pray that you, we, we would realize we're not going to be pure and godly in this area by accident. We have to be intentional. We have to be purposeful. We have to be focused on the beauty of what you've designed. Living what you've designed. Communicating what you've designed. God, could it begin here in our church? Could it begin here in our homes? Oh God, please let it begin in our young people. Let them come up with your design. Let them live your design. Give them faith and strength and courage as they are in schools and around friends that are probably bashing that idea. God, thank you. Your way always works. Nothing. Not even the world disproves it. The world actually ends up proving it over and over. Glory to God. Glory to God. In Jesus' name, amen.